Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, good morning. How are you this morning? Wow. How many of you survived the hurricane yesterday? Man, it blew in with a fury, didn't it? Okay. We didn't get a lot of good sleep last night, did we? Well, welcome. Today is going to be glorious, um, and tomorrow will be cold again. Welcome to spring in the Ozarks, right? I have a, a great privilege this morning that I want to introduce our guest speaker for you. But before I do that, I want to tell you why he is with us. At the beginning of this year, we made a decision uh, to move our church planting efforts and our resources and our energies in a new direction. We moved away from our partnership and covenant with Acts 29, and we're directing towards a partnership with the state of Montana. And so the man and his wife, who I introduced to you today, Lee and Christy Merck, Lee is the church planting catalyst for the North American Mission Board, whom we already partner with, and the Montana Southern Baptist Convention. His role is kind of combined there. They have lived in Red Lodge, Montana for the last nine years, planting Church of the Rockies that he still pastors today. And Lee is taking over all of the leadership for church planting in the state of Montana. There's a longer story for how we got connected, and I won't put that uh, before you now. But the Lord kind of orchestrated these events over the last year's time and in conversation with the elders and, and looking at what we felt was best for our resources and how to invest the energies of our people so I have invited Lee to come today. We were in Montana in January. Tyler and I went and joined them for their annual church planters retreat and got to meet many of the church planters there. I was back in March and got to meet many of the pastors there and just beginning to build relationships there for us as a church to begin to invest in the work that God is doing there. Lee has come today. I invited him to come because this is not just something we do in your stead. As a church, I want to see us become invested in the work that God is doing there through church planting, through strengthening churches, and the work that he is leading us to. So I, I prayerfully request of you to listen this morning as Lee comes and as he breaks the bread of life with us, as he shares his story, and, uh, and, and just consider how God might be leading you personally to be engaged in this great work and to just ask the Lord to use us as a church over the next number of years in this partnership as we see it grow. Incidentally, Lee probably won't say this, but I'll tell you, they live in Red Lodge, Montana. And the only way I really know how to describe Red Lodge, Montana is this way. If you've ever seen a Hallmark movie, if you've seen one, you've seen them all. <clears throat> Man, it's okay to admit you walked through the room when your wife was watching. Red Lodge, Montana is the setting of every Hallmark movie in the world. You feel it when you drive. It is a picture-perfect community uh, in every way. Uh, it's an incredible place. But I want you to receive the words of Lee this morning 
And, uh, and then after the service, be sure to reach out and welcome he and Christy to our fellowship. And just ask God to do a powerful work between our churches and in the work that he's doing in Montana. Lee, would you come? Would you welcome him this morning? Thank you, Pastor Lane. It has been a joy to get to know your pastor over the last several months, and uh, we have uh, become friends, and uh, I appreciate the friendship and his love for pastors and the gospel, and, and I'm looking forward to, have been looking forward to being with you today and uh, sharing here uh, with this great fellowship that he's told me all about, and uh, i got a rich uh, history here as well in terms of God. Uh, planting you here to reach people with the gospel. And so uh, I'm just uh, glad to be with you today and thankful for the opportunity uh, for us to, to partner in the days ahead. And um, as Pastor Lane said, my name is Lee Merck. My wife's name is Christy. Those beautiful girls you saw earlier, Maggie, Caroline, Colleen, and Abigail. That's our family, uh, four daughters. Since that time, we've had one get married, so I now have my first ever son-in-law, uh, which is a, a learning experience for me. And uh, so uh, it's been going pretty well, though. So um, if you have your Bibles, I would ask you to take them and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 37 this morning at a message entitled, Making Friends, Reaching people. Uh, I do serve as a, a full-time missionary, uh, a planting catalyst, as Pastor Lane said, in Montana. And, um, and so we, we see ourselves that way here in North America. And uh, my hope is that you see yourselves that way here in Ozark. Uh, and so as a missionary, as a pastor, a preacher, as a Christian, uh, you know, one of the things that we uh, are so focused on and steadfast about is the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that lives may be transformed. And, and that's really the essence of this message this morning. And, uh, and so I want, us to, I, I, I want us to hear from the Word of God a call that is echoed through the ages, and that is the call to share the gospel. And as Pastor Lane said, I also want to say to you this morning, that it would not surprise me if God didn't call some of you to Montana. Now, you may smile about that just a little bit right now, but I want you to hear me this morning. We, I have begun to lead our state for the last several months to pray, Luke 10:2, about sending laborers into the harvest. You know where they come from? They come from churches just like yours. And so that's one of the reasons I'm here this weekend uh, is to continue to develop this partnership, but also to help you see uh, how God may call you to be a part of something like he did us nine years ago. By the way, I don't have a Montana accent. I have a South Mississippi accent. So yes, I'm a foreigner in a strange land, <laughs> but God's been good to us. And so I just want to read this morning the, the last part of this parable, the last two verses to get us started. Luke chapter 10 and verse 36, Jesus says, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him, 
Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time together. We pray now that you would speak to our hearts through your word, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start this morning by simply asking you a question, which seems to be uh, an obvious question uh, that most churches would just say, yes, hallelujah to, but I want to ask it because I think sometimes we take things for granted in churches, and that is this. Do you personally, do you ever think about reaching people for Christ? Is that something you think about throughout the week? Do you ever think about sharing the gospel with others? Are you concerned about whether or not people are going to heaven or hell? Are you concerned about your neighbors and your friends and your co-workers? Whenever, whenever we think about this in Montana, we we understand that about 90 to 95% of the people living in Montana are lost. They don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. When we think about the lostness, the need there for spiritual rebirth, spiritual birth in Montana, we, we think about uh, how uh, most of the state is not religious. You see, some people say, well, what, what's the majority or what's the primary religion in Montana? Well, while there are more numbers in the Catholic and Lutheran church, the state is primarily non-religious. And as far as Baptist work goes, with the, with the growth in population over the last several years, we have one Baptist church for every 10,000 people in Montana. And, uh, and so we've got a lot of work there when it comes to reaching people for Christ. Another thing we think about when we think about lostness in Montana is that there has never been a great awakening in the West. We've never seen a great revival or a great awakening in the West like the Northeast has seen and like the South has seen. And so we're praying for that as well in this partnership. You can pray for workers for the harvest. You can pray for a great awakening. You can, you can pray for a lot of things and be prayer partners with us in this particular effort. If you do think about lost people, if you are burdened about lost souls, I want to tell you this morning that you are thinking about the things Jesus thinks about, and you are burdened about the things that Jesus is burdened about. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, it says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Luke 19.10 tells us that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you have a heart that beats for lost people, if you are thinking about reaching lost people with the gospel and you are burdened about those things, you are thinking like Jesus thinks and you are burdened about the things that Jesus himself is burdened about. This morning, I want to share with you a very practical, simple, effective way to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's so simple, everyone in here can do it. And I would even say that most of you in here have done something like this. You, you've attempted to do this, but maybe not with 
the goal in mind of reaching someone for Christ. Are you ready for this? It's going to blow your mind. Reach people for Christ by making friends. And you're going to say, uh, this guy flew all the way down here from Montana to tell us to make friends. Did you really do that, Lee? And I'm going to say, yeah. And then I'm going to ask you this. When's the last time you made a new friend? When's the last time you made a new friend? When myself and Christy were being assessed to plant churches in Montana, the gentleman who was doing our assessment was a native Montanan. And he had a little bit of an aversion to Southerners. Not, not harsh, but it was kind of like, well, we don't know if you can come up here and do the job. That was kind of the, the attitude that we picked up on. And so as he was doing our assessment, he um, began to share some things, some of his own thoughts about how what we did in the South was not going to work when it came to reaching people in Montana. And he used a specific example of, a, a barbecue. He said, you know how in the South you like to have a barbecue and invite people over and, uh, and have that time of fellowship and kind of just enjoy one another's company? He said, that won't work out here. I thought that was kind of strange, and I thought, well, we'll just have to see for ourselves. So when we first moved to Montana, we moved into Livingston, and Christy and I took a job at the local newspaper. We both had paper routes, and, um, and as we were getting to know people, we would go every day and we'd stand in a line against the wall waiting for our papers, for our routes. And there was about 10 or 12, maybe 15 different routes that were represented there, and we'd all stand there and kind of talk. And um, so we hadn't been there very long, and it was getting close to Thanksgiving. And I told Christy, I'm bad about doing things like this to my wife. I said... I think we ought to have some people over for Thanksgiving meal and see if we can make some friends. And uh, she said, okay, well, how many? I said, I think we ought to invite all of them. And uh, she said, well, okay. And so for the next few weeks, we went back and we started telling them, hey, we're going to have a big meal over at our house and we'd love for you to come. So Thanksgiving rolls around and uh, we're, we're hoping for at least one person to come. Uh, we'd been told this wasn't going to work, um, and everybody that we invited didn't come, but over half of them did. And we sat around our table our first Thanksgiving in Montana in our living room with a bunch of lost people who said things like this, we haven't been invited to a Thanksgiving meal, and we don't know when. Some sat across the table with tears in their eyes, having no friends, said this had never happened before. And we were able to say grace over the meal and share the gospel with them. We didn't have anybody saved on that day, but we had them in our home, and we were loving on them. And, uh, and the truth of the matter is, inviting people to our house for Thanksgiving worked. <laughs> it worked. And there's a reason that it worked. The reason that it worked is 
people are people everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, people have the same basic needs. Physical needs, emotional needs, psychological needs, and spiritual needs. They're the same in Montana as they are in Missouri. Everywhere you go, people are hurting. And listen to me carefully. Everywhere you go, people need friends. I couldn't even begin to tell you how many people in Ozark need a friend. I can't begin to tell you how many people in Montana need a friend. Making friends and being a friend was a part of Jesus' way of life. And it gets to to the heart of what a relationship with God is really all about. In fact, in John chapter 15 and verse 12, it says... This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. By the way, that's serious friendship being exercised by the Lord Jesus himself. And then it says, you are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends." For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. James chapter 2 and verse 23 tells us, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And then it says, and he was called the friend of God. Jesus' friendship is genuine. If you don't know that, you you need to learn that. And it is meaningful. It is not artificial. It is not pretend. It is my contention that Jesus reached out to people and he reached people through friendship. I won't read this next passage to you, but Mark chapter 2 and verse 13 through 17 is where Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, the tax collector, Levi. And after he calls Matthew to follow him, he goes to his house to eat with him. And he is accused by the Pharisees, by the religious leaders of his day, about, uh, he's accused of eating with, of, of socializing with sinners. It says, um, uh, uh, one of the questions they asked was, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? This passage and others are passages that help us identify Jesus as a friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. As we were preparing to go, we were being told, hey, it's different. And by the way, it is different. I don't, I don't want to deceive you in that sense. It's a different context. It's a different culture. And, uh, and there were reasons why we were being told, hey, you've got to try some different things than maybe what you've tried in the South. We, we did our homework. We, we knew that Montana is the fourth largest geographical state in the nation. About 1.3 million people now, about a million when we first moved into Montana, the people in Montana are known as hardworking people, independent-minded. They've got an independent spirit about them. It's mostly a rural state. Even our larger towns have a small-town feel to them. They are neighborly people. They're very loyal people, adventurous and somewhat rugged. And so we knew that we were going into a place that was going to require some different things from us ourselves. 
And friendship was one of those things that God put on our hearts and minds when we first moved there. It stands to reason that if friendship is important to Jesus, then it should be important to us. And making friends is obviously not the only way to reach people. It's not the only method, but it is a biblical approach that our Lord himself took. And it is so simple that I think at times it's something that we overlook. Now, I will say this. Simple doesn't always mean easy, right? Some of you, if I asked this morning if, it were diff- if it's difficult for you to approach people and try to make new friends, you would say yes, because all of our personalities are different. So simple is not always easy. And oftentimes we're trying to make friends with people who are not like us. In fact, I mentioned us working at the newspaper. In that line that we stood in every day, there was a a little elderly lady. She was really short. Easy for me to remember her name because she has one of my daughter's names. It was Miss Maggie. I don't know how old Miss Maggie was, but she she was really old. And she was riding her bicycle around town. And she was making about $32 a week delivering papers on her bicycle, had to be at least in her 60s, maybe 70s. And so we befriended her while we were standing in line, and we would have different conversations with her. And um, I was working with a church planter at the time, and he had asked me to do a lot of the preaching, and Easter was coming up. So I started inviting people to the Easter service. You know, none of these people had ever come to church before with us. And so I'm talking to Miss Maggie, and We've always had a cordial relationship, and I, I say, Miss Maggie, we'd love for you to come to church on Easter Sunday. I mean, I couldn't get it out of my mouth, and she said, I don't believe in the resurrection. I said, oh, okay. And um, I said, well, we'd still love for you to come and uh, be a part of church that day. Well, a few weeks, it, was, it was a few weeks before the service, and we just kept being friendly to her, and... Um, <laughs> We were in that little storefront, and I think it might have been Christy that came to me and said, Hey, Miss Maggie's here. I said, Really? She said, Yeah. That day, I was preaching an apologetic message on reasons to believe in the resurrection. When, when the service was over, she slipped out pretty quick before anybody could speak to her. And I saw her, so I walked out to speak to her. And uh, she didn't get saved that day, but what she said was, I sure have a lot to think about. I sure have a lot to think about. Now, Miss Maggie also came to our house for Thanksgiving. But, but let me tell you how much Miss Maggie and myself had in common. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing at all. But she was being moved. She was being stirred by the power of friendship. I can tell you that 99% of the spiritual conversations we have had in the last nine years while living in Montana have been because we made ourselves available as friends or through friendship. We worked hard on developing relationships. Now, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus uses the term neighbor to describe how friendly we should be towards others. 
He asked, so which of the th- these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? What was the answer? Who was the friend? Who was the neighbor? We know it was the good Samaritan. And so I want us to look at this story real quickly and pull a few things out that help us understand what it takes to, to be a friend sometimes to those who are around us. You remember the story. This lawyer comes and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus puts it back to him. What does the scripture say? And he says, well, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. And uh, the, the, the lawyer wants to be justified. And I'm summarizing here, but the, the lawyer wants to be justified. And so he says, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you may remember the story about how a certain man is walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he falls among thieves. And they beat him and they strip him. And the Bible says they leave him half dead. He's laying there. And people begin to walk by. The first two are religious people. (laughs) There's the priest and the Levite. It's really interesting the way the Bible describes it. The priest sees him from a distance and doesn't want to go anywhere near him. Keeps his distance for several reasons, but he just doesn't want any part of it. Levite, I don't know which one's worse, sounds like the Levite goes and takes a closer look. He says he he, he takes a look at him, and then he says, I don't want anything to do with that either. Both of them pass him by. And then... The Good Samaritan comes along. And you you may remember this story. The Good Samaritan does, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, what is necessary in order to help this man who had fallen among thieves. And that's where I want to pick up in the story. There are two things here that stand out to us when it comes to making friends. And the first thing you'll notice is in verse 34. If you want to make friends and reach people, You're going to have to get off your donkey. It's okay to smile at that one. You're going to have to get off your donkey. It says in 1034, So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now in this parable, a certain man that is mentioned that fell among thieves, represents for us people who are in need. People who have uh, needs or maybe people who need friends. The Samaritan in the story should represent us, but what does the donkey represent? What what does the animal represent? Well, it seems to me that the, the donkey represents convenience, familiarity, Investment, that animal cost him money, security, and comfort. Now, the Samaritan didn't know this man personally. The man in need was a stranger who was walking on a trail that was known to be dangerous. In fact, uh, it was known that thieves hung out on this trail. And so it would have been easy for all of them to say, hey, you stepped out there, you get what you deserve. You ever heard the phrase, uh, you, you lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas? Right? You made your bed, now lie in it. 
But that's not what the Good Samaritan did. That's not what the Good Samaritan said. One thing is for sure, the Samaritan was absolutely useless to the hurting man while he was sitting on his donkey. He had to stop. He had to climb down off of his donkey. He had to go out of his way. He had to inconvenience himself and place himself in in impossible danger in order to be characterized as what Jesus calls a neighbor, in order to be characterized as a genuine friend. He literally had to get off of his donkey. And the truth is, if we are going to make new friends for the sake of the gospel, we will too. We will have to get off our donkeys. You say, well, I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about there. I don't have a donkey, literally, right? Well, here's my concern. My concern is that many people, for many people today, the church itself has become their donkey. It's convenient. It's comfortable. It's familiar. It's a low-risk environment. It is where investments have been made and continue to need to be maintained, and not much is required along the way in reference to personal sacrifice. That, years ago, really rubbed me and began to speak to me and caused me to realize that I was going to have to take action on what the Bible was calling us to do. It may sound cliche, and you've heard this before, but it's true. People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's when you climb down off the donkey that people begin to realize how much you really do care. And so that's the first thing I wanted to show you here in this text. The second thing is this. It's very simple. It's what Jesus says to us there in verse 37. He says to the lawyer, go and do likewise. In verse 30, let's just read 36 and 37 again. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is an emphatic statement. This is not a great suggestion. I want you to listen to the phrase again. I want you to do this. Close your eyes so you can concentrate on it for me. Close your eyes and just listen. Go and do. 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 How about that? Now, this is what Jesus says. He says, go and do. And then he says, go and do likewise. And he's referring back to the story he's just told. What does likewise mean? Well, he says that one of the things he says about the Good Samaritan is that he had compassion. Did you know that compassion is missing from our world today? And if our world today does not see compassion oozing from the church, it probably will never see it. Going and doing likewise means being full of compassion towards those whom, uh, who are our neighbors, which, by the way, this parable and other 
places in Scripture help us to know that there is no qualification on who our neighbor is, right? That's everyone. Jesus himself demonstrated compassion when he saw the people who were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Going and doing likewise was was an act of the heart and an act of the will. For the Good Samaritan to do what he did, it was an act of the heart and it was an act of the will. Going and doing likewise requires a personal level of involvement that goes beyond wishful thinking, wishing others well and hoping for the best. Oh, somebody will come along and take care of that. I hope they do okay. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll be all right. Somebody else will help them. That's not going and doing likewise. It requires a personal level of involvement that goes beyond wishing others well and hoping for the best. It requires us to get involved with our time and our talent and our treasures for kingdom purposes that lead to people being saved, lead to the salvation of others. This is what Jesus characterizes as a good neighbor. So if I were to just ask you to begin with, hey, how would you define a good neighbor? might not look anything like this, right? But but I'm, I'm just taking you here to say, okay, this is what Jesus said a good neighbor looks like. Someone who is a friend, someone who is friendly, if you will, with those types of characteristics. While I was in Livingston working at the paper, I know I'm using a lot of illustrations there, but I want you to know this was the tip of the spear for us. This was our entry point into Montana. Um, the, the boss came and asked me if I would take on a, another route at night where I would deliver bulk papers to towns. By the way, Pastor Lane, I, del- I dropped off bulk paper in Red Lodge, Montana before I ever moved there. I would drive through the night, probably get back about midnight. So I showed up for training, and I'm, I'm excited about this, and I, I'm going to ride with this guy whose name was Tom. And uh, when I got there, Tom was mad. He wasn't mad at me. He was just a mad person. He was cussing up a storm, every word that, that, that's in the book, and some I don't, have never even heard, right? I mean, it was just that. And he was storming around, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, i got to ride all night with this guy. So we get the papers loaded in the back. We get in the car, and we're headed down the highway, and he's still going. He's just letting it go. And uh, it's, there, nothing, everything's wrong, everything's bad, you know, and we're going down the highway. And I, it, it had to be 30 minutes down the road. He finally stops, and he says, what are you doing in Montana? And I said, well, I'm a preacher, and I've come to start churches. And he said, oh. (laughs) And uh, it kind of changed from there on out. And I began to develop a relationship with this man. And by the time I left Livingston, we were having breakfast once a week. He had fallen way away from the Lord, and I had begun to disciple him again. And we spent a good bit of time together while I was living in that area. And uh, he was not a native Montanan. Actually, he had moved there from Chicago. But 
Do you know how much Tom and I had in common? Zero. I want to tell you this morning, if you're only living with people you have things in common with, you're probably not going to reach lost people. Because you're going to find that they don't have a lot in common with you to start with. I want to ask you as we get ready to close our time out together. How many friends do you have? How many friends do you have? A better question might be, to whom are you a friend? With how many people are you currently seeking to make friends? When's the last time you attempted to make a new friend? Everybody needs a friend. I want to tell you, opportunities abound in friendships. There's power in friendships. The Bible says a friend loves at all times. When I moved to Red Lodge, I got a text from Tom. And here's what it said. I just wanted to say that I will truly miss our Friday morning breakfast get-togethers. I will miss you, my friend. That's what he said. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24 says this. He who makes friends. You didn't know the Bible said so much about friendship, did you? (laughs) The book of Proverbs in, in chapter 18 verse 24. He who makes friends must find himself friendly. Here's my paraphrase. If you're going to make friends, you can't be a sourpuss. you got to be a friendly person yourself. How does that happen? With the love of Christ that's been poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit, the book of Romans tells us. Jesus was a friend to sinners. And the And Ozark needs you to be a friend of sinners. And Montana needs you to come and be a friend to sinners as well. Would you pray with me?